3: Welcome to a special edition of Tackling Life with Ray Lewis and me, Dr. Christian Conti. This is the first of a two-part episode recorded live inside Pennsylvania's greaterford Maximum Security Prison. Ray and I were joined by Secretary John Wetzel. He's the Secretary of Pennsylvania Prison System, and he helped us run a group with 15 remarkable inmates who were convicted to life sentences. You'll hear powerful and moving stories of incarceration, and you'll hear transformational stories of redemption. We hope you're as moved as we were. We begin with Secretary Wetzel addressing the group. All right, well, good afternoon, everybody.
4: Good afternoon. First of all, gentlemen, I appreciate you guys um, coming in here, and I assume you volunteered. I assume you weren't voluntold, but, you know, we do both (laughs) here at the department. But let me tell you um, what this is about. We we were... um, Actually, you guys, I don't need to introduce this guy, right? Um, We did a podcast with Dr. Conti, and Dr. Conti does some work with us. Uh, First, he did some work at our special management unit at Fayette, and now he's doing some transition work for us at Laurel Highlands in one of our transitional housing units. So we got on a podcast a couple months ago and just really started vibing and really just talking about expressing our frustrations and trying to figure out solutions for for kids especially kids in the worst communities and, and really just a frustration with with our system being such a reactionary system where we're at this point at the back end of our system we're spending all these resources when if we could if we could spend resources at the front end of the system we'd be a hell of a lot better off but in spite of that we don't none of us control all that but one of the things that really stuck with me when we did the TEDx here is that that your stories were so compelling and everyone who left here, left here, um, Im- impacted by those, ted- and they're still impacted. People are still watching, uh, TEDx's from all, all four of the TEDx's we did. And, and I think one of the things that, that, um, it turned out so well, cause it was risky to do it. You know, we banned after behind the music and all that stuff down here, we banned it, didn't show inmate faces and all this stuff. And, but it didn't, but the sky didn't fall. And so what we're really interested in is, um, to, to use uh, Ray and, and Dr. Conti's, um, use their voice to amplify your voice and take your message uh, to kids in the community who really, um, a lot of kids in our community are just in a bad place. Mm-hmm. And they're in a place where many of you were. And so what we thought would be really interesting is if you could uh, like give yourself advice. If you, were, uh, if you were giving yourself advice at that moment or right before that moment, what would it sound like? Now, now there are two qualifiers. One, um, we don't talk specifically about, not that you want to do this anyhow, but no specifics. And two, just first names. Um, but we just want to have a conversation with you um, about that. And if, someone's, if you're not into that, if it doesn't work for you, feel free to leave. It's no, you don't have to do this. Um, but we, I just see this as an opportunity. Let me tell you, I spend as much time uh, in communities and in schools just trying to impact kids and we have a generation of kids who are lost. Yeah. And you have the opportunity to provide guidance from a place that they rarely hear. You know, we uh, because of the approach we've taken to corrections and, and all kinds of stuff, you know, nobody knows what goes on behind the wall, right? And so people fill in with this bullshit narrative about who you are. and And, and so this is just another opportunity to acknowledge your humanity, acknowledge the men you've become, and help someone not become... Uh, a good man or or good young woman without coming through and taking the path you you took. So Dr. Conte, I don't know what you wanna to add to that.
3: No, I, I do, I wanna thank, uh, I definitely wanna thank you for participating in this. Um, I really believe um, that we are all in this together. And I think it's a lot of times, as Secretary Wetzel said, a lot of times your voice doesn't get to be heard and people have this absurd notion of who you are and I really want to be able to have you be able to say that the type of advice that would reach the people um, so that they don't make these decisions, these life-changing decisions. And as you know, um, the ripple effect, like, you know, you throw a, pond, a stone upon and it kind of ri- goes out and your voices and what this, are are well, the way we envision this is to use this as a ripple effect to see how many lives we can touch with your words. So that's really what this is about. Right. You want to. Yeah. God,
2: God makes no mistakes. Man does. Right. And so if we don't have the ability to go back and tell an eight year old and a nine year old kid, I can tell you where your future is headed unless you change your direction. I walked into school the other day, 35, 40 kids, and I asked each one of them, What is your foundation? How will you bounce back in life when something bad happens? It's gonna happen, it's life. What do you do? And the saddest thing, there is no foundation. There is no understanding of you must you must have be. Able to stand firm on something or you'll fall into or for anything. That's what life is. I've been doing this work since 1996. I'm going into the streets. I'm in the hoods. I'm, 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 I gotta go to speak to a school in Virginia that 10 year olds, 10 year olds are running the school. So my cry, my cry is simple. My cry ain't to find out what nobody did. My cry is to simply say, if you had that moment, that moment, to just think about what I would have did different, thought differently, or how I would have looked at myself differently, that's the message I'm trying to take back to the streets. Right? Because that's what I think our kids need to hear. Because I think if, 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 they can, if they can see, right, I've always said this. It's hard for somebody to talk to me and explain to me something unless you've been through what I've been through. So if they're able to see them miniature selves but hear a voice that's way older than them that said, no, this is what I would have done different, And this is what I would have did. And I wouldn't have done that. Then that sinks in. That the reality is real. That if you don't change something, this is what happens. Right. So, man, you know, we, we started this thing, Tackling Life. We met Secretary Wetzel, and I'm like, look, we got to go. I'm ready to go to a totally different level with this. Because I'm telling you, like, what we're doing in the streets right now, it's like, woof. Like, it's rough in the streets. Baltimore, rough. Chicago, rough. Miami, rough. You know? And no, no disrespect to nobody else, but it's a bunch of black folks just killing each other. You know what I'm saying? And it's like these kids, man. It's like, that's why we're here today. That's why we're here today. So we ain't here to invade, and then we just had We really have a conversation with you guys, man. So thank you. Thank each and every one of you for even doing this.
4: Absolutely.
5: Yeah. Thank
2: you for doing it. Yeah. It's important. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes, sir. So, so does uh, hearing that, um, does anybody want to jump out and kind of say, does this, does, does this message resonate with anybody want to kinda of jump into it?
2: I go
6: first. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: can't
6: break, ice like
7: this. break the seal. <laughs> you know, I, I started doing dreaming out bench when I was thirteen. I can remember why. Exactly what went wrong in my life at that point. My disabled mother, did the best she could do with two boys. We used to go to absolute club every day to play sports. Box, basketball, football. One day the funding stopped. They closed it. So we are on the streets now. So selling drugs. We're going up to St. Gabe's. St. Gabe's. Slayton Farms. Forestry Camp. Seventeen. Murder. penitentiary. So you know, I know exactly what's going wrong out there. The funding stopping for them kids that to have school programs. That's the major part of kids having something to do after school. Give them something to structure to do. Because I know in my life, had they not closed that, that uh boys and girls club, might not be here today, because I was heavily into playing sports there. <clears throat> but I would tell myself, five different outlet. I would tell myself, think about the decisions you made Like don't fall into this crowd, because you know better. You know, I may not have knew the consequences of my action fully, but I knew that what I was doing was wrong. <laughs> Other than that, I wouldn't know how I was going. You know, I had I had chances, plenty of chances to straighten up. But like I say, it wasn't that strong voice telling me to give them the right track. It was always that negative voice.
5: Yeah.
7: Like, you know, come on back in, take this package, If you carry the gun. You get locked up, they're going to take where might see you back home. Those so, we were in our community it wasn't the voices telling us to go to school, to do the right thing. So it was negative voices of men. Not boys, but men leading us the wrong direction. So it takes men to go home, need our kids back in the right direction. Take the men that came home from these penitentiaries to go back where they came from. In their own community, where people know them, man. and spread these messages out there. That's why it's important, that like, the work we do here, the work we allowed to do here, through the, through the Secretary, through the link, through Renewish, through the Activities Department, allow us to reach back to our communities and tell them kids what they're doing wrong, where they're heading at. See, I, I, I can say, I, I can't tell a kid what to do. Mm-hmm. I can't, but I can tell you where you end up five, two years from now for doing what you're doing.
4: So yeah. you got in here and at some point it clicked, right? At some point, you made that switch inside a prison. Yeah. So what, what what was the mat, what, what happened? What made you flip the switch and decide, you know what, I'm gonna take another path and I'm gonna try to take other people on another path. Not,
7: when I got upstate, I was 19, I got to Camp Hill. Got to old township, got some trouble, got to stay down here. When I got here, I met older guys in the jail. Life, these guys are life sickness. They heard they, me talking, they was like, You're not like the rest of these dudes, man. Right? Like, you know, like, you're not, you got something in there, man, better bring it out of you. So, I'm going to school, I'm doing organizational work, like, they pulled me away from that crowd that was doing the wrong thing. I was never a drug user. So, I, I, I never had that problem, thankfully. So, they talked to me. They got me involved in organizational work, they got me involved in WCP, doing work to life and stuff like that. And that's what, that's what pulled me away from the crowd, got me to go to school, educate myself, do those things. So the guys, that I wish I'd had. I was in the street.
3: Hmm.
7: You know, I, I okay. met him in jail.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that. So you got that? That's what you were looking for when you were younger, and that's here. when you got it. Mm. Exactly.
7: Yeah, I got it here. I didn't get it when I was home. Had I got there? I was home. It was guys I, I heard of in the neighborhood. He was like, God, "I remember neighborhood. they was in the at penitentiary." I come here, I meet him. I'm like just ain't wanna heard about you. Hmm. Like, you're not who I thought you were. It was like, my life's sentence. This is not who you, you wanna be. You know, and seeing that, that these guys we looked up to, that's like, I wish I would've made a, a, a different choice hmm. than what I made. Mean. You know, so seeing that, like, it clicked. Hmm. Like, you know, then looking back, I'm seeing young guys coming through from my neighborhood that I personally knew growing up, that's like three, four years younger than me, I'm like, hey. How couldn't I could not reach these guys, man? Right. Like I had I been able to reach them, I could have changed what they was doing as so they looked up to me. Like it's crazy, I'm doing it now. I wish I had a chance to do it then before they came here. That's why we do the work that we do. Mm-hmm. We try to reach, catch them guys before they get to the penitentiary. You know, because we never had nobody to reach us like
2: that. Yeah.
8: Let me uh add what like to say just two real quick points. Mr. Gonzalez, we used to have a program. It was similar to Scared Straight. We never called it scare Straight. We were saying Think Straight because that don't always worked. That physical, we'll come ahead and get raped. So we used to like more so call it Think Straight. And we had a session where it was an extremely standoffish. Young guy who seemed to be the leader of the group that came in. The rest of them, you know, dropped their guard, listened to the conversation, interacted, but he had got confrontational, and we was trying to get Sharif. One of my elders, I, one of Ike elders, to talk to him. i want to talk to him. This is corny. This is this, 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 that. So we just went along with the program, and he sat off to the side, you know, case may be. By the end of that program, he opened up and let Sharif talk to him, and, you know, shed a little tears and stuff like that. And he was saying, it's exactly what Ike was saying. I like to talk to him. The counselors don't understand.
4: And it's that credibility. Right, that so this program is what you you guys do and basically it's an orientation program.
8: Well we, we used to do it. It was uh mm-hmm. it was taken from us because of the, the uh, policy saying that they didn't, they couldn't come inside the institution, but
4: Oh these were kids from the community. Who come in here
8: from mm-hmm. and, and we know scared straight that's work. I mean right. scared getting
4: right. get in right. the kids' face
8: children coming inside and he actually wasn't coming inside the institution he was just in upstairs, visit room that's not used except for certain things. and the other point is even to this day, right now the county facilities are full of young guys and are somewhat more dangerous and out of control than the state facilities mm-hmm. uh, so much so that they allege that they, they assault each other in religious services like they, that faultless that they take, bring their beasts from the street and they assault each other in religious services but when they come up here, why don't they do that right? Right? Mm-hmm. they amongst men when you know better you do better they amongst the men who they look up to who they're trying to emulate and they think they have proven they point how this ruthless I'm this careless
5: and they get for these and they say, well, we, don't, we don't tolerate that in our
8: religious services we don't tolerate that at all it's one of the safest penitentiaries one of the largest one of the safest penitentiaries not only in Pennsylvania but across the country where it used to be the most dangerous but this is from these programs and organizations come together and men talk Men resolve these disagreements with be men. You know what I mean? Men charge with some serious problems. We got image problems, you know, uh, uh, geographical, you from Norfolk, but we come together as men and say, that's not where it's at. You know what I mean? We change, we, we, we transform. We don't even look at viability. we transform men. And even though our situation is hopeless, you know what I mean? In Pennsylvania, there is no approval. Uh, you know what I mean? We still, as human beings, the humanity in us seen the error in our ways and said, listen, even if you can't uh, get back on the street, you will gonna make a difference from right where we are. So, these are the subtleties that psychologists, doctors, uh, universities need to look at that men sharpen men. Them mm. little boys, they're looking for that, that guy, yeah. mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and great doors. With honor integrity coming in the community, he gotta go back to his job, he gotta go back to his community, he gotta go back to his family. Whereas Uncle Kev, Grandpa Kev, mm-hmm. Brother Kev is right there with him all day, every day, checking his behavior. No, we're not doing that. Yeah, you can do it this way. No, you can't do it that way. So this is the difference between the success or failure with these programs. The men that's needed is removed from the community through masks over incarceration.
4: Yeah, and so just just to, to clarify, in Pennsylvania life means life. Yeah. And, and there's parole if you get any other sentence, but if you get a life sentence in Pennsylvania, it means life. Or and, death by incarceration, as yep. people refer to it now.
3: Yep. When we continue from Graterford Maximum Security Prison, we'll hear from inmates how they connect with new, younger inmates just coming into the system. And they have practical solutions for how to stay out of prison right after this.
9: One of the things we've seen with a lot of these young guys that's coming in here is because the majority of the programs that's designed in Pennsylvania is designed to treat addiction. A lot of us is not, is never addicted on drugs. So when you got a young guy that comes in here, he's not addicted to drugs. So how do you treat him? He's addicted to selling drugs, not addicted to being on drugs. So
3: one of the things is we came up with a ton of programs around here where we can address that need. That's huge. And, and I, I think you were going to tell us too about that young man that was standoffish. Yeah. Was, there, was there a way that you found to connect with him? Yeah. Uh,
8: Guy Sharif eventually you know opened up and he opened up and gave us, that's, that's what gave us our insight when programs like that are allowed, meaning reaching into the mind. Because like you say, if you could talk to yourself we, you know, mm-hmm. material, and that's one of the books that, again, Mr. Gonzalez and Double ACP produce a book saying, if you could if you could say to yourself, mm-hmm. get the second, the next guy, the young boy, if you could say to yourself what you're saying, these books are powerful to these kids because it's coming from those mm-hmm. who went through that experience, they know exactly what to say to me. I would know exactly what to say to myself. You know, I have three sons and statistically one of them is supposed to be in a penitentiary and none of them are. And fortunately enough, you know, my, my parents got uh, custody of him, and he was in my life. And I used to always tell him, you want to know how to mess your life up? Look at your father. You know what I mean? Being a 100,000% real good. Mm-hmm. You see where I'm coming from? Mm-hmm. And that young guy, he became, you know, opened up, and he gave us, you know, I ain't got nobody to talk to. Counselors don't understand. You know what I mean? Because they look at that credibility. Yep. God has actually been through what they've been through, And we give him an alternative. you got to prevention, intervention and your aftercare. All they want to do is get money, that's what they get into the lifestyle for, to get big money.
6: Right. I like to um, always say, and kind of piggyback on what Kevin was just talking about, I like to always say that I was one of the ones that felt like he didn't have a chance. I grew up in a family structure where I was one of five or six children, and um, all of them were older than me, all my brothers were older than me, and they were in the streets, but even before that happened, my mother had a, a certain mentality. You know, she shot shot father in front of us. And those kind of things we never, you know, we never looked at how it affected you later on down in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my brothers again, they were they were into the criminal element heavy. So I was able to see this. So I didn't have um, somebody to focus on that I can say was okay. Somebody I looked up to besides those guys mm-hmm. and their friends. So coming up in that environment, like, you know, you start to, these are my heroes. Right. My heroes were the criminals. Huh. Instead of the, the, the football player, right. the doctor, the, the, uh, uh, the hardworking construction man. Mm-hmm. These guys weren't my heroes. I wasn't, I wasn't able to see that they were the real men. Yeah. You know, and, and that was because what was right in front of me, what was right in front of me was everything that was wrong. You know, and all the things that my mother did try, you know, she, she was she did try. And she tried to show us different things in our family, but the influence that the brothers had over me stronger. was so much stronger. stronger. You know, and, and um yeah. like it's like in our in, in our society, in everyday society, you can take the, you can take a rich guy that no one knows. But if we showed him all the things that he has, the attraction—he mm-hmm. everybody will start to be attracted to him. Mm-hmm. We'll want to know who he is. How did he get the things that he get? Thanks. And this is what we see him in our in our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. We want to know this guy. Hey, I know him. How did get it? How do mm-hmm. I get what I he got? It? Mm-hmm. And then when we find out that he's doing everything dirty under the sun to get it, absolutely, it becomes like yeah. it's, it's natural. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. I see that every day. I see that works for him. Right. This should work for me. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, this is the total wrong thing. Yeah, and you know, I, 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 we talk about the kids, and what we, can we go back and tell them? I was I was just turning 15. I turned 15 one day. Four days later, I was locked up for homicide. 15, and had I been able to talk to the person that I was then, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it on a lot of levels. And the, the main thing that wasn't worth it is that you took somebody's life and they could never get, could never get that back. Not them, not their families, mm-hmm. nothing. It was a final decision that you made. Mm-hmm. And when you made that decision, you affected more than just the person that lost their life. Mm-hmm. You affected yep. everybody that was connected to them, everybody that was connected to me, and everybody else in that community, And you know, it it, it goes it goes as far as this that somebody don't even know it; they have to pay taxes coming out of their pockets to house me every year. Twenty seven years later, Mm. so that just the effect that that has is is tremendous. You know, every year somebody's paying for this for us to stay here, for them to be here, and that those guys, the people that we harm, and the families, they don't have a chance to you know to feel. To, to hug their, their their loved ones again, mm-hmm. to look in their faces, they only just through a picture, right. and that right there kills me inside mm. because not only was I uh, a perpetrator, I was also a victim because I, my brothers, I seen one of my brothers lose his life, right? You know, and so I felt it, and I didn't, you didn't, under, you don't understand it then, but later when maturity kicks in, then you start to understand and you start to see something. Okay. Well, wow.
9: I, I came to prison I was 23. It, it's not that one day at 23 years old I decided you know, I wanted to live a different lifestyle. <coughs> it was a process. I started at about 14. Um, but even before that, I, I can remember, like, my mother is a, 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 comes from the baby boom generation. So my grandmother had about 14. 15 children. I had eight uncles. All of them been to in one form or the other. So that was, that was, these were the people of the men that as a, as, a, as a child, as a little boy, that I looked up to. You know, I, I knew the names of the jails and the penitentiaries before I moved hmm. temple or Villanova or mm-hmm. University of Penn was. I knew about the four and right. creek uh, uh, and all these other different uh, prisoners. And so this was. The shaping of my mind at a very young age. And then you get to be a teenager, 14, 13, and you start liking girls. And so one of the things, and so, like, it's kind of competitive because the news with the fly stuff, they can take the first.
5: Mm-hmm. Yep. So
9: if you ain't really got the money that every family might have, you're trying to figure out, okay, what can I do? What can I do to repeat? How can I keep up? Right? And then at the same time as all this is going on, crack flooded our neighborhood. Yeah. So now we see a means to get these things, that shiny stuff that attracts people, right? Because we ain't feeling too good about ourselves. We don't know ourselves, about. we don't to about ourselves. Mm-hmm. We just think if we buy a lot of shiny stuff, you're all know, right, you know? We don't know that, 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 that the, the good feeling that we were searching for comes from the thing. Mm-hmm. Not only that, some, I used to get high. You know, I started with the alcohol, and then I started taking the pills, and then the syrup. And so, like, you know, I'm feeling good about myself, you know, but I'm I'm getting this false sense of self-worth because I didn't feel real good about who I was. And so now, I'm growing up this way. Hmm. And so now, and plus I'm kind of aggressive, like I ain't scared to take chances. And so this is what happened to people like us not scared, are not afraid to take risks because it don't affect everybody in our neighborhood the same way. Mm-hmm. Because there's people that I know that come out from my communities, that don't come to the penitentiary. Right. But at the same time, they're not, they're, they're, they're not willing to kind of take, take the risks that a lot of us are willing to take. And so now we're out there, we got all this stuff going on with us, and so we're making decisions. Not understanding how to properly make decisions. Mm-hmm. Because as a, as a young person, as a child, You tend to live moment by moment. You're looking for instant gratification, right? You're looking for the feel good right now. So you make a choice, that's what that decision is based upon. But whenever you make a decision, there are all these different possibilities that you have to take into consideration. We never go down those avenues. You know, we always thinking about right now. Okay, if I take this, I'm going to be all right for that moment. Right? But, oh, there's all these other different avenues and stuff that happens to result of choice. And so, what I would say to my younger self is, first and foremost, you got to learn how to love yourself. Hmm. And I would just say that because it's a process that you have to undergo in order
6: to achieve that.
9: After that, I would tell myself, you have to learn how to make proper decisions. Because if you don't, you'll make a decision that you'll, later, that you'll end up later regretting. Because a lot of us make decisions out of this, out of this emotional reactions. Like, something happens, you get upset, you yak. You're not thinking about, okay, what can happen as a result. Mm. The actions that we take. And so I had to tell myself, you have to, whenever you get upset or too emotional, you have to fall back. You can't make a choice. Fall back, let yourself calm down, down and think before you back. Um... I would, I would. Yeah, so that's it. Like, those are the two main things I guess I would tell myself: mm-hmm. how to think and how to learn
3: yourself. It's so important, and, it's, and it resonates with what you're saying. What you're saying of seeing the bigger picture. And I think when young people, when they're young, it's difficult to see that long-term picture, or that there's going to be a beginning, middle, and end to that feeling.
9: What we don't physically, we don't have the capacity to. Hmm. Because our brains aren't fully. It's not but there yet. So yeah. We guys here are able to have a, another opportunity. To make it out there because courts recognize that now yeah but what i'm saying is that this is why you need like all the people around mm-hmm. you to help you right help you see that that long range
3: yep and, and uh, something that I love is like, you're so physically strong and powerful, yet you weren't, when you're talking about that young man, you're not talking about going and screaming at him. Because Secretary Wetzel and Ray and I have talked about that. That's scared, great, straight stuff where you're just screaming and re-traumatizing children. Like, that's not the way to go. It's, that's why I like when you say, think straight. Because if there's something that people are listening to really hear, it's a very big, strong, powerful man would say, we just need to have a conversation. Because that's really where the process is going to emerge. Well, I'll tell you, you say you didn't have the capacity. And I would restate it, didn't have the
4: capacity to do it alone. And what I'm hearing and what you provide now to these young folks is you provide somebody to say, you're not alone. And I think oftentimes, especially when we're young, we get in these situations, we don't have the skills, we don't have the tools um, to make good decisions. And absent uh, someone who we can relate to, a strong role model, um, we're going to go down a bad road. And I know, Louis, you wanted to jump in here.
10: I grew up in Bronx with a single mother, six, six of us. And uh, in 1982, I seen my grandfather get killed while I was shot home giving me a haircut. So I took to the streets. And to me, that was like, after this, I'm going to the streets, I'm going to events, you know. And uh, the lack of a of, of male figure in my house made the difference in my life. I ain't had that male figure. So it was just my mother and my sisters, and I had a brother that, you know, we this, and we He was just squared us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up in the penitentiary as a juvenile with life Because my old head was another young kid that was 16. I looked at him as my old head. You know, and whatever he did, mm-hmm. I did. And I followed him. And we both ended up in the penitentiary. Mm-hmm. So I would tell the kids out there you have a chance today. You have a chance to decide whether you want to be this side of the world or that side of the world. Because when you hit this side of the world, and you end up in a state like PA with a life sentence, you can expect your mother to die, your father, mm. all the elders in your family to die, and you will not be going to the truth. <coughs> That's life. And sooner or later, it's going to click in here that, I got to change. And for most of us, it just ain't click. We've been doing this work for decades. In this, in this institution, and most of them was with, with clients, and like some of the old heads in here. Because I remember when I came, all old head took me under the way. Showed me how to read, you got to go to school. You know, because to me, school is, like, what, is that? what is that? You couldn't even spell school. <laughs> but sooner later, you come in here with a You want to realize that you
4: either get it together or you're going to die in prison. Mm-hmm. That's the fact. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you talk about education, and I... Uh, Lewis did a TED talk for us and talked about his path. That when you came in, um, you you didn't couldn't read.
10: Couldn't read.
4: And ha- how important is education? Because we you know we hear a lot of talk, and we know that, that we have school districts, and there's areas where, where the school district is under resourced and, and, and just poor, and kids dropping out. How important is it? How important is education in in getting on on a good track?
9: Education is
4: freedom. Yeah.
9: What's that? Education, freedom. Is freedom. Hmm. Education is freedom. Education is when you know more, you can know do more. It, 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 right. It, it gives you more choices. But as a as a, as a young person, it's hard to really understand that. This is the mind of somebody coming. I was tw- I was 23 when I went to court. I am in the court. My lawyer says to me, well, I'm gonna try to get you a little
5: 15-30. I looked at him like he was crazy. Fifteen what? What? You know, 15
9: years. I was like, I, I can't do that. Anymore. He said, well, it's better than life. I said, well, you know, that in 15 years, it. that concept is so far away out of my experience. Like, I really couldn't understand what that meant. Now, 25 years later, I get it,
5: mm-hmm.
9: but as a, as, a, as a 20-year-old, 19-year-old, or 16-year-old,
8: 17-year-old,
9: those are the concepts that so
8: alien far farm far so it's, harmful, so it's not Don't forget uneducated like that. Uneducated. educated 19, 20, Because the, the solutions is not complicated. They're practical. practical. I talk with my son and they have typical problems. He's 23 years old. they I out off a job, a job, open. and I got up in mind, don't let your friends trick you into robbing the bank. Robin and you gotta tell him that mm-hmm. because his friends, when he get off the phone with me, right. his friends say, "I got ten pounds of weed, let's get it." Right? And he he can't. Oh, he see. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do three I gotta pay bills. I got. He can't process, and I'm going to jail with my dad. He processing I got to pay the bills. So the so the so the, the solutions is not complicated. They're practical. You gotta understand when you were 19, 20, what well, the United States Supreme Court, when they talk about that science, you gotta realize when you were 17, and you may not have been in poverty, but think of your decision making. You ain't
5: processing if I do A, B, C. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to
8: the penitentiary. You saying I'm going to solve my problems in an instant, well, Mr. Carter said I'm going to solve my problem in an instant without even thinking about the consequences. And like also what Mr. Don Jones has said, education, I always say that it gives you, uh, it, uh, it broadens your opportunities. Like when you, how do I know that it's a device that goes 10,000 feet? into the water and study animals that I never, you know, how do I know that? How do I know somebody's producing a machine that does that? How do I know, how can I get into engineering? How can I get into bio-science? How can I get into that fascinates a child's mind to make him pursue a career? in that is, is not complicated, it's practical. And like you say, our, our educational system is failing us, you know what I mean, to give our children that opportunity to see. All those opportunities you can have other than standing up for selling drugs.
3: Coming up from Greaterford Maximum Security Prison, we'll hear the story of a son who's serving life along with his father and what he would tell his younger self right after this.
0: When I was in the second grade, I probably missed like 80 days of school because I thought that, you know, I didn't need an education. My father was uh, was uh, one of the kingpins out in Philly, and my he was out there still selling drugs, running his own corner. And my my my, my old siblings were already cutting school, so I followed suit. And by the time I was nine, they my father was in prison. So I figured in my mind, why go to school? I could just sell drugs to make a living because I, I'm I'm surrounded by our so-called heroes that you were like sharing. And, and I really believed that this is the way to live. And what was, what was strange, though, with the education department then in Philadelphia was that if you didn't go to school, they would actually still pass you to the next grade.
9: That,
0: and yeah. I figured that out in the fourth grade. And I figured, I said, why even go at all? I could just skip out on school and, and go out there and, and, and sell drugs. But I recall when I was about in the seventh grade, my teacher asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? In the back of my mind, I said, I want to be a drug dealer like my father. But I understood that if I said that, I'm going to trouble. And I said, I want to be a cop or a fireman, was my response. But I already knew at that young age, my mind was already geared to wanting to be a hustler, to be a drug dealer. I didn't look up to the football players. I never been to a football game. No one took me out to play baseball. And that was my environment. So then when my father go to prison, I got people calling me by my father's name. Little Lolo. You're going to be just like your dad. At the age of 11, I had somebody give me about 50 bundles of heroin to hold in my mother's house, telling me you're going to be just like your father. And he was right. Me and my father right now are both serving our life sentences. We're on the same housing unit right now. You know, and he's doing life I'm doing, life. following his footsteps. I followed him. I wanted to be just like my dad. I had that just like you mentality. I wanted to be like him and I will find myself in this place like him. And people were trying to interpret who my father was to me. Mm-hmm. They were defining him to me. He was trying to define himself to me over the phone. No one took me to visit him. So when he would talk to me, I would listen. But then once the conversation over, I'm going back in the streets. My mom couldn't handle me. But I have all these older men, men in their 20s and their 30s, telling me you be just like your father. And, and if I could speak to my younger self, I would tell my younger self, let no one define who you are or who your father is to you. And what he did doesn't define who he is. There's much more than the streets.
4: Mm. Go over here.
0: Go. I mean, you would think that being born
1: in a nation like Trinidad and Tobago, like I was, where the literacy rate for as long as I could remember was 97, 98 percent. Where your teachers could discipline you, your, your hmm. school teachers could literally spank you. Hmm. You would think that education would be important to me. But it was, I, but it instilled in me the importance of education to my parents and the grown people around me. But it, 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 it wasn't really important to me. But that discipline carried over into my performance hmm. in American schools when I came to the States from the age of seven till 15. And I excelled in school, you know, my mother pushed me. I was in all advanced grades, went to an inter- intermediary school in Bushwick, section of Brooklyn, New York, for the gifted and talented. And I did it because it was important to my mother, but it had yet to be important to me, mm. right? But something happened, you know, it, during the 80s, and Ro spoke about it something baleful started coming into the communities. It was crack cocaine. Right? And although I never did any drugs at all, crack cocaine affected everybody's life, whether you did it or not. You know what I'm saying? Because now it makes, I started looking at education as this long, life-consuming, tedious, unnecessary route to the American dream. And at that time, at that young age, the American dream was a car, a house, a pretty wife, you know, and security and so on. So for all material stuff, Mm -hmm. well, there was no depth to it. Right? So, and I saw around me people my age started to shine with mysterious accomplishments gold chains, rings, driving cars. I'm curious now. Hmm. And I'm getting my hump on figuratively in, in the books in school. I'm excelling, and, and I'm looking around and, 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 and there's a, now there's, there's questions starting to arise. Why am I doing this? I'm frustrated. Everything that these guys mentioned, no father, my mother's working 16 hours a day, coming home late hours of the night. You know, and as, as I'm growing and I'm starting to, a child is starting to rationalize, and I have nobody to hear this stuff out with, I'm left to my own devices and hmm. to work this out with no guidance. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so, I'm leading myself slowly to the dark side. Hmm. I'm keeping secrets.
5: Hmm.
1: Right? And I think this is when it gets dangerous for for a child so if my, my my thing to every parent is beware when your child starts keeping secrets. Wow. Mm. You know you have to always talk to your child. Just talk. Get them to talk. Get them to talk so that they can you know and my mother was just she talked, but a lot of times she was so tired, you know, when she came home. Yeah. And Things that I had going on, I couldn't talk to with my mother, you know, and, uh, little did she know I was already thinking about running away from home to chase the American dream. And Crack Cocaine offered what I thought was an express lane shortcut, a portal mm-hmm. to the American dream. I no, longer, I, I no longer needed to go to school, education, no, it doesn't make sense. If it's about material things, i got a quicker route to get Mm -hmm. And that type of thinking yanked me from my mother's loving kid because she loved me to death. She still rides with me for the last 30 years without skipping a beat. And Mm -hmm. yanked me from my my, my home in Brooklyn, New York, and dropped me hundreds of miles away in Philadelphia. Without my mother knowing. She just came home and I was gone. Searching for adventure, searching for the American dream. Ended up with life without parole, death by incarceration. All right. On my first, on her first visit to me, she brought me three books. The Autobiography of Malcolm X, The Autobiography of Nelson Mandela, and Kafka Boy. I don't know why, I, I didn't know why she gave me those books. Years later, I asked her. And she told me that it was what I suspected that she knew I was going into something, and she could protect me. So she, was given, she knew these two people had been in prison, mm-hmm. and they turned out fairly well. Maybe it was something that I can extract from these pages that can sustain me and hold me, mm-hmm. and protect me. And it did. One of it, and what it was, education was important to these two people. Mm-hmm. Agree with their politics, Nelson Penn or Malcolm, that, you know, is irrelevant. The fact that Malcolm would read 15 hours a day and study 15 hours a day resonated with me. The fact that Nelson was a lawyer and his, his ability to articulate himself resonated with me. And education did something more for them than just got them good the grades. It allowed them to, it, get, it empowered them to affect people, change lives, and change the environments around them. And, I, and I, I wanted to tap into that type of power. I wanted I wanted to find that kind of place in history, so and they became my stars. And so education for me did something more. It wasn't about getting a good job, even. It wasn't even about chasing the American dream no more. Now it was about how do I make, how do I make socially and environmentally ecologically responsible decisions? How do I I'm on some deep stuff now. How do I tap into an exercise that distinct human capacity to look deeply at society? See what's wrong, what's anti-human, anti-life, and problematic mm-hmm. about it. You come up with ways to fix it. Mm-hmm. I'm on that tip now. You know what I'm saying? So now education is important to me. Mm. Um. Now it's important to me. It's my first love. And I have my mother to thank for.
3: That concludes part one of our extraordinary day talking to inmates serving life sentences at Greaterford Maximum Security Prison. Come back next Monday to download part two for more powerful stories from the inmates, as well as from Ray on what he overcame and how he prevented himself from going down a path toward prison. In the meantime, check out TacklingLifePodcast.com to see pictures as Ray and I toured the prison. And if you found this episode as moving as we did, please share it with a friend. For the legend Ray Lewis and Secretary John Wetzel, I'm Dr. Christian Conti.
0: Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.
1: Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us.
0: Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have.
1: It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids.